Welcome to the Sport Blokes. I'm Nathan. As always, I'm with my doubles partner, Stuart. What have we got this week, Stewie? This week, I'm going to take a good look into one of the newest Olympic sports, breakdancing. You're going to break down the AFL draft, and I've got the biggest bloody hell of 2020. Oh, it's exciting. Let's go. Well, Stewie, as I mentioned, it's, it is exciting this week because we've got a very new and improved sports blokes. Yeah, I think you might have got pulled over just then by the semantics police there for the term new and improved. Always one of those ones I've, I've laughed at. It can't be new <laughs> and improved. It's got to be one or the other. But <laughs> one of those many the, phrases yeah. that don't make sense. But it is exciting. We've got a few new segments. You would have heard the new music at the top. Yeah, we definitely have to tip the baggy green to Daniel. What an amazing job you've done with that theme song, mate. Good job. Absolutely. We've got some interviews lined up in the future. So a lot of good things coming uh, in the sport blokes. But as we do at the top every week, Shui, what caught your attention and what'd you miss? Oh, geez, there were a few things that caught my attention this week. I mean, firstly, you've got Shay Bolton's utterly insane 60-inch box jump. I mean, the bloke nearly hit his head on the roof at the gym that he was at, and it's worth remembering he's only five foot nine, so that definitely caught my attention. Um, I was also <laughs> also caught off guard a little bit by some comments Roger Federer made at the 2020 Swiss Sports Awards, which kind of has me concerned that he might have played his last match. Oh, yes, a lot of um, people are talking about that. A lot of concerns there. I mean, I've been a huge fan of him since before his first Grand Slam. You, you could just see he was going to be a, a great player. But yeah, I just I worry that this is something he isn't going to get back from. And if he does, he's not going to be as competitive as we would have liked, which is a really sad way to go out. But the big thing that caught my attention this week has to be the continued petulance of certain NBA stars highlighted by James Harden and Kyrie Irving being oh, yes. absolute dickheads. Yep. I mean, it's been pretty well documented this past week about Harden's unwillingness to show up to training camp, demanding a trade like a big sook because things are getting too hard for him, then being seen out at strip clubs and parties without a yes. mask on, yes. like basically jeopardizing the start of certainly his season, if nothing else. But interestingly, the four teams that he's named so far, Brooklyn, Miami, Philadelphia, and Milwaukee, they've all got one thing in common, Nath. What is it? They're in the East. They're all in the East. I think he wants out of the West, quite frankly, because he knows mm. he can't win over there. It's mm, an interesting theory. And then you've got Kyrie Irving refusing to show up for media day or talk to anyone in the media, even though he's contractually obligated to do so. Mm. He's actually gone as far as to say he won't talk to reporters this season. Well, and he referred to them as pawns too. Yeah, and there have been a lot of people firing back about that. Kevin Love's called it a sure sign of disrespect. I've yep. had a really great piece on the jump about how important the media is to the players. And amongst a massive rant, Stephen A. Smith said, the media is a conduit to assist the NBA and its players in promoting its brand. It facilitates you generating more revenue so guys like Kyrie can get paid $34 million this year. I thought you were going to say guys like Kyrie can get fucked. <laughs> well, I mean that too, but uh, but uh, no, look, one of the uh, one of the other things that Stephen A said was, you know, he's got no problems with Kyrie not talking to him, but find him every single day that he doesn't talk when he's supposed to be. So I don't have a problem with that personally. So yes, quite a lot catching the attention this week. How about yourself? Well, what caught my attention is for some reason, live it up was tipped to possibly hit number one in the charts in Britain. Now, it's looking less likely that that will be the case, but thanks to the Glasgow Rangers and Celtic rivalry, the Mental As Anything song from 1985 was touching the top of the British charts. And you've got a lot of family over there in Scotland, Stewie. I heard it on the radio when uh, Peter O'Doherty, the bass player, was talking about it. He actually thought it was a prank, but you've got a bit of inside information from your family over there. 
Yeah, well, as I've mentioned on a couple of episodes, my family are Glasgow Rangers fans. That is that is basically part of where we come from. And the uh, the first old firm match of the season, I think Celtic fans were kind of being a little bit bullish, expecting they were going to dominate us like they have in previous seasons. They were putting up posters of recent wins over us. And when they when they lost the game 2-0, the Rangers fans and, and the Union Bears, who are a group of fanatics that, uh, that support Rangers, they've pasted all these pictures of Connor Goldson, who scored both of the goals, right over the top of all the Celtic stuff and started <laughs> trolling them with their rendition of this song. It's uh, great. And, and there's, there's actually an official video they've done on YouTube where they, they actually start with the violin part from Club to Death by Rob Dugan and, and then basically go on and, and sort of show all the photos and the videos of them putting those posters up so it's um it's a classic sort of chapter i guess in the in the old firm and the, the next one is the second of january so it's coming up really really soon but as much as i love this story I, there's nothing that was going to knock mariah carey off no, top spot yeah, unfortunately yeah, yeah yeah i think i think it was at second spot there for a second but uh, i think as you said that's dropped down the table a bit so it probably won't go to number one, but geez, that would have been a fantastic story. It's just sad that Greedy Smith wasn't around to uh, see that, the lead singer. I actually saw them at, at a free dingy bar gig in Perth, and it was fantastic. I love the song Mr. Natural. I was Once I saw that, I was very satisfied. So, yeah, it's good story. Cracking tune. Cracking tune, that. And unfortunately, what I missed, mate, well, I missed a lot this week. In fact, I think it was the least sport I've watched all week. My girlfriend moved in today, so we've been busy cleaning and packing and sorting and doing all that sort of stuff. So unfortunately, I didn't get to watch a lot of sport this week. Even during the shutdown with Corona, I watched old matches and classics and that sort of thing. So didn't get to watch a lot of sport this week, but I did still read a lot and listen to the podcast. What do you miss, mate? Well, I mean, I missed a fair chunk of the BBL at the start of the week and over the weekend, but... You know, even though I've seen most of the highlights, that there was been a lot of carnage. Obviously, the Sixers and Renegades match, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. I've seen a fair bit of it, but not as much as I would have liked. So, yeah, as I say, we'll, we'll talk about that more when we discuss the cricket later on. Yes, we will. But first things first, let's get into the news roundup. So we'll start off with Formula One. The 2020 Formula One season is officially in the books. Tiny bit of a surprise, actually, at the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Red Bull's Max Verstappen dominated qualifying and the main race. He beat Valtteri Bottas by nearly 16 seconds and Lewis Hamilton third more than 18 seconds behind Verstappen. It's the first time since 2014 that someone other than Mercedes has won in Abu Dhabi, hence the surprise, but an absolutely dominant performance by the Dutchman. Now, Daniel Ricciardo finished in seventh place. The Aussie actually managed to ruin a bit of history for Verstappen. So from what I could find, there's only been 22 drivers achieving at least one Grand Slam in Formula One. Now, for people who don't know what that is, it's winning from pole position, leading the race from start to finish, and having the fastest lap. An impressive feat. Yeah. Very impressive. Yeah, yeah. Things were going perfectly for Verstappen right up until the last lap of the match when Ricardo picked him by about three one hundredths of a second. Wow. So not a bad last lap for Renault for uh for Mr. Ricardo before he heads off to McLaren next year. But obviously this season was all about the dominance from Lewis Hamilton, a phenomenal season. And obviously Bottas had a, had a great year as well. So, And of course, even with COVID, uh, Hamilton's still creating news. Still on the podium. He's, he's done yeah, amazingly. Absolutely. Now, I believe we're heading across to the Major League Baseball. Yeah, it's not very often you hear Aussies in the Major League Baseball do well, but Oakland A's relief pitcher Liam Hendricks was named to the All-MLB first team this week, and he's tipped to get quite a nice little pay packet, rumoured with a $30 million three-year offer on the table. So that's very good news for Australian baseball, which, as we mentioned, 
had Manny Ramirez come over here for the Australian Baseball League. Mm. Staying in America, Shuey, you've got some news also in the MLB. Yeah, the Cleveland Indians, they're taking the lead of the Washington Redskins by removing the name Indians from their team after 105 years. They're actually previously known as the Cleveland Lakeshores, mm. the Bluebirds, the Broncos, and when they got tired of those, the Naps. <laughs> yeah. the oh, Naps. yes. Cleveland baseball team, anyone? But no, the uh, the Indians actually removed their logo and their mascot, Chief Wahoo, who I think looked about 27% less racist over the years. But, but there have been a few replacement names floated. We've had the Spiders, the Rockers, the Crows, or one really interesting one, actually, the Dobies after Larry Doby, the first African-American player in the American mm. League. So I like it. Some interesting, yeah, interesting times ahead for the Cleveland baseball team. Mm, mm. Well, I always found it weird that the Redskins... Washington Redskins, that is, of course, copped all the heat and that the other teams like the Braves and Indians didn't. So this is really great news. Maybe the Braves are the next cab off the rank. Uh, they've been pretty solid in their stance that it's not going to change, but after a while, the pressure does kind of get to you, and, and we may see that over the next couple of years. Well, Dan Snyder at the Redskins said the same thing only about a year ago, so the pressure does come out pretty quick. True, true. Now, we've had a huge signing in the NBL. Yeah, we sure have. Aussie Jock Landale, the big man who really impressed at the World Championships last year, it's got to be said, has signed with Melbourne United, which is a very, very good pickup for them, which will definitely catapult them into, if not favouritism, right up there, I would say. So, I, look, I reckon he's someone who should be in the NBA, but that's a great signing. He signed a one-year deal and will be playing for United when the season starts in January. I've still got the Hawks winning at this stage. That that's who my money's on. But uh, no, you definitely like right. Melbourne. Too. Yeah. Oh, this. Oh, look, it's one of those ones where literally any team could win it at this stage. But no, you're right. Landale really, really impressed me at those championships. He was a player I actually never heard of at that stage, and just kind of oh, came out of nowhere brilliant. and yeah, yeah, dominated. Really, good. really, really impressive. And you've got some basketball news too, Shui. Yeah, this one was almost bloody hell-worthy, but uh, geez, did you see that Dwight Howard's being sued by two women, Amika Nabar and Kamisha Shellman, for at least $50,000 of unpaid wages for looking after his exotic snake collection? Ah. <laughs> this was actually oh. also after, after Nabar claimed that she helped Dwight land his one-year contract with the Lakers through some of her contacts. So it's, it's a crazy little story. It's also alleged that the women were given more responsibilities after Howard had fired his butler, maid, and groundskeeper. Always difficult to afford them on a veteran's minimum. <laughs> but I still think the most horrible part of this story was the caption, Howard's giant snake can grow to 25 feet. <laughs> that accompanied the story. It's oh, absolutely yes. insane. Also, a bit of a tangent. You know how Dwight Howard kind of always wanted to be Shaq? Mm-hmm. Well, I saw during the week that Shaq has his own brand of pregnancy test. Oh, you're joking. I'm not. It's over 90% accurate, so definitely better than Shaq from the free throw line. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> but get this. Uh, it includes two free Shaq stickers. Woo! That's <laughs> just what everybody wants when they're finding uh, out yes. if they're pregnant. Well, that's, if, there's not a, if there wasn't a good reason to get on the job before then, then that, there you go. Why not? So, yeah, maybe Dwight needs to find something tacky to boost his income a bit. I saw a hoops hype, I think it was a hoops hype poll on Twitter last week saying that asking if Dwight Howard should be a Hall of Famer. And all these people not only said yes, but said they should be first ballot, which is an no, absolute joke. Nah. Absolute I, I, I joke. Don't have a, 
I don't have a problem with him making the Hall of Fame, just, but he's definitely not a first ballot. Not a I, I, I don't think he is, actually. I think there's several well, blokes ahead of him. There are several blokes ahead of him, but he, he's had a very, very good career. You look at how many times he won Defensive Player of the Year. He took that relatively okay Orlando Magic team to the finals. So, you know, he's I think he's done pretty well. But, yeah, definitely not first ballot. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to close off with some horrible netball news for the West Coast Fever. Yes, indeed. The West Coast Fever have been hit with the biggest fine in Super Netball history of $300,000, half of it suspended though, and 12 premiership points, which is the equivalent of three wins, for breaching the league's salary cap by nearly 20% in 2018 and more than 25% in 2019 due to undisclosed contracts and payments. It was deemed that none of the players were aware of it and no current coaches were aware of the dodgy contracts or signings. Being that the Fever were runners-up last year, you're losing 12 premiership points before the season starts all but takes them out of the running this season. Yeah, a bit of a shame, unfortunately, but yeah, these these rules are, are there for a reason. Well, you, you think back to the Carlton Blues. I mean, they're still recovering from their salary cap rorts from the exactly 90s. Exactly right. Melbourne Storm, not so much. No, they, they, they did pretty well. <laughs> Come on, you blokes. You know more than just sport. Yeah, it's a brand new segment this week. We thought we'd take a look at some of the non-sporting events and come up with some hilarious stuff going on around the world. So take it away, Nath. Yeah, there's never any shortage of that. Now, this one's actually from a couple of weeks ago, but it certainly is very bizarre. And look, speaking of semantic police earlier, Stewie, this is another example of where semantics are very important. There's a Nigerian man who claims to have got six women pregnant at the same time. Nigerian influencer, and I know you love them, Stewie. <laughs> Mike, no, <laughs> known as Pretty Mike Azili Nawali Nwogu, hopefully I said that correctly, Perfect. Went, went to a wedding and was surrounded by six pregnant women that he claimed to have impregnated all at the same time. So all I can think is that he had a six-way adapter, Stewie. Yeah, it's kind of reminding me a little bit of those old sprinklers that you'd get in primary school. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> That sort of sound, like he's just spraying oh. it everywhere. That's oh, that is horrible. <laughs> oh. As if I don't hate influencers enough, and look what he's just made me do. Oh <laughs> shit! Uh, so Stewie, I think is you'll it- agree to Mike Azili Nawali Nwogu. We say it's just not cricket. So Stewie, as no doubt will be the case for a lot of the summer, we're kicking off this week with the cricket. Yeah, that's right, Nath. The first test between Australia and India just a few days away. The Aussies have well and truly gone from an embarrassment of riches at the top of the order to well and truly being in struggle town. Yeah, you're not kidding. So Davey Warner's groin strain has him missing at least the first test and God knows what after that. Joe Burns' lean patch continued brutally against India A, making him pretty much unpickable. Oh, absolutely. And most concerning... Yeah, and most concerningly, Will Pukowski was struck on the helmet by a bouncer from Kartik Tiagi, which is going to see him miss the first test as well. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, Shui, he's had something like nine concussions in a really short amount of time, a couple of years or something. Six years, yeah. Yeah. Now, I've kind of spoken very briefly in the past about my concussion that I had, and I wanted to spend a couple of minutes explaining this for anyone who hasn't had one before. I'm going to preface this by saying that mine was a pretty bad one, but I know there are a lot worse out there. And I'll also mention that this series of events are as they were told to me. I lost more than two hours of that night. So mm. it's literally like somebody edited them out of my memory. So it's a, it's a bit of a weird one. Mm. Now, now you and I, we've, we've played a lot of basketball together. We sure have. Go back, what, to 12? I think 12 years of age, if I remember correctly. 1994, I reckon. 94, yep. So we're going back a long way. Now, one thing we've got in common is even though growing up, we were both bean poles. 
But uh, we were <laughs> always, always the first ones to step in front of someone to take a charge, no matter how big they were. Now, I've copped my fair share of bruises. I've been kicked in the nuts. I've even had a broken cheekbone from it. But last year, I'm playing in a seniors game, and guys coming down one on two. The other defender on our team shepherds him towards me while I wait at the foul line. I'm in position. The guy sees me at the last second, absolutely lowers his shoulder into my abdomen and just fucking launches me into the air. I mean, like I landed a good few feet back from where I was, square on my head. Mm. Now, next thing I know, I'm sitting in a hospital waiting room with my wife asking, what happened? Did we win? Did I get the charge call? (laughs) Uh, Good on you, Stewie. That's the true sportsman right there. It's, well, I mean, it was the things that mattered because I didn't realize how concussed I was. But apparently, I, I'd asked those same questions 50 times already. Wow. And aside from one jump shot I took in the warm-ups before the game, I had no recollection of anything after the moment I left my car arriving at the stadium. So, like, it wiped a good 20 minutes before the actual event happened. Apparently, I'd called my parents to come and pick me up nine times because an off-duty nurse wouldn't let me drive home, which by all accounts I was wanting to do. Mm. It, it's nuts. Like I felt ill for a good couple of days afterwards. Even when the head scan came back negative for any brain bleeds, I was petrified going to sleep that night. Like I'm drifting off. I'm thinking, am I ever going to wake up? Like this is just, it's crazy. And and I retired from basketball on the spot. Well, I don't blame you, Shui. That sounds pretty bloody traumatic, especially when you had to ask the same questions a million times without even realizing. Exactly. For the record, we know what happened. We lost by two and I got the call. That's the important stuff, but no, (laughs) So as you mentioned before, he's now had nine concussions over the past six years. He's playing against guys at the absolute top level of his sport. Things are going to keep coming at him quickly. Guys are going to keep bowling bounces as much as it sucks. Like, how concerning is this? Well, that's right. Guys like Boomer and Yadav will be champing at the bit to throw thunderbolts down at him if they get the opportunity. Uh, It it is. It's very concerning. I thought that there might be a chance he'll still play because it was a little while ago. But as you say, after telling your story, you know, it's probably better for him not to play. And as we saw on the Ashes last year, after Steve Smith got done, not only did he miss that test, but but he missed the next test as well. So it's huge. I dare say, Stewie, Pukowski looked in a lot worse shape than Jadeja did. Yeah, you will also note that the doctor went straight out to him instead of yes. waiting to the end of the over. Mm, mm. So, yeah, no, he uh, he definitely copped a, a pretty brutal one. And I tell you what, we're not even talking about Cam Green. He copped an absolute belter in the in the side of the head from uh, Jasper Boomer playing a straight drive. So, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, we've had all sorts of issues over the last last couple of weeks. But I suppose it brings us to the next question. Obviously, we know that Warner's not playing. We know Pekovsky's not playing. We know Joe Burns couldn't bat his way out of a paper bag. Who do you bring in? It's it's a really tough question because Marcus Harris hasn't gone much better. They haven't given Sean Marsh a run because of his age, which makes sense, but he has had a very good shield. I don't know. Is this the the slight chance that zombie Sean Marsh does come back just because he's got Australian experience? Nick Maddinson didn't do that well in the tour match either. I don't know who, who else has really left. Yeah, I mean, you're right. The homer in me kind of thinks the obvious choice could be Sean Marsh, given his experience. Marcus Harris definitely has to be in the mix, but you need two. So, uh, yeah, Joe Burns absolutely has to be out, much like he has been cheaply in recent times. I mean, his last nine first-class innings have yielded 62 runs, good for less than 6.9 runs per bat, including four, a duck, another duck, and a one in his last four. He's got no confidence in his game. I think the best thing he can do is head back to grade cricket, maybe find some form. Yeah, well, with those stats, he'd just about be uh, liable to be dropped from Queensland, let alone not making Mm -hmm. the Australian team. Definitely. 
you mentioned Marcus Harris. He's probably one of the better options. I mean, okay, he failed. He had just five in the second innings against India A, but he's had some starts in his previous three innings. I feel like he might be one of the better options. Yeah, Usman Khawaja could be another one, I guess. And then there's Bancroft and Renshaw, who have also opened fairly recently, but they don't inspire a hell of a lot of confidence either. The other problem is that everyone else within the team, I wouldn't move them from their current spots. There's not really anyone else that could open at test level. Mm. I mean, I know we mentioned Shaw Marsh before. I can hear the groans from the Eastern States already. Oh, yeah. He's got four scores of 88 or above in six Sheffield Shield innings this season. Yep. It's a, he's had a pretty good start to the Big Bash. I mean, he got out for 13 against the Sixers, but that was because they were going for that 10-over bonus point shit rather than actually <laughs> trying to win the match. Yeah, we'll get there. But the one I've heard a bit about today, which is an interesting one, is Matty Wade. Maybe not such a bad option. I mean, the only real downside to that is you've got two left-handers opening, but this isn't the worst idea out there. Yeah, but I don't know. It's like, remember when they tried Aaron Finch in the test level and he just, it's its a different game. So, do, you remember when David, do you remember when David Warner was considered a one-day player only? Oh, uh, well, true, true. That's my that's my rebuttal. Yeah, to, to that. yeah. Look, uh, as you say, there's slim pickings. Maybe I mean I must confess I, I don't really know much about Matty Wade as an opener. From memory, he tends to bat in the traditional wicketkeeper spot at Shield mm. level. If they the think biggest... he's capable, but it's it's got to be blokes that can see see out that new ball and and be willing to face a bit of chin music, which yeah, Finch wasn't, for example. <sighs> I mean, the the big positive, I guess, whether it is Marsh, whether it's Wade, whoever it is, the biggest positive to doing it that way is keeping Smith and Labuschagne at three and four. And I think that's the most important part. If we can keep them there, then we're we're all good. And it kind of opens up a spot at six for maybe one Cameron Green, assuming he gets past his concussion. So there's, you know, there's a bit to talk about there. Well, if it weren't for Cam Green's concussion, he'd be absolutely bashing down the door to make the team. So I still hope he does get a game. Uh, and I don't think his head knock was as bad as Pukowski's, well, and he just, doesn't have the history that Pukowski has, so yeah, they might I think not he's, be I as... Think he's, I think he's got a tougher head, quite frankly. <laughs> but doesn't this basically just bring us back to that old adage, there's a reason they play the games, because everyone was so willing to give Australia a whitewash, especially with Coley only playing one match, but now it's looking like advantage India after that first one. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. I mean, everyone forgets just how lethal the Indian batting lineup can be in the tests as well. I mean, we've, you know, we we struggle to get guys like Pujara out. Yeah, so, that's right. They're patient. They 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 are capable of facing, you know, staying in the middle for a long time and facing a lot of balls. And that's something that the Aussies haven't been good at, you know, the last few years. So exactly, major advantage India. Yep. So yeah, I guess who who's your who's your final pick? I guess to open the batting. Oh jeez. I think I think Harris because he played in the Ashes will probably get a nod. I don't think you can select Burns. If there's a bit of rumor around Wade then maybe it's Wade and Harris. I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that, but maybe that's the direction they'll go in. What do you reckon? I look as I say I'll go with the uh with the homeboy sort of thing. It's got to be Harris and Marsh for me. Marsh has the experience. Harris has been there as well. So, yeah, I think you go with those guys, guys that know how to play the top of the order. And I guess it's only for one test, hopefully. Mm. In domestic cricket, Stewie, well, the Big Bash is only a week old, but they've already got through several matches, haven't they, in that packed schedule? 
Yeah, we've got a few keynotes, I guess, to talk about just quickly. And we'll obviously give the BBL a lot more time as we get further into the the, uh, the tournament. But so I guess starting things off, look, can we just say that the first big example of the bash boost was a roaring failure? Mm. Dare I say, I told I mean, you so. Yeah, I mean, the Renegades were obviously trying to chase that bash boost against the Sixers. They, the Sixers had made like 204, I think it was, and there was no way that they were going to get there. So they obviously had a, had a ping at that because I think it was only 75 they needed off the first 10 overs, but they ended up being bowled out for 60. And then instead of settling in and at least working their way towards a, a 150 score, the Renegades lose 10 wickets in 54 balls and they record the biggest loss in PPL history. Yeah, absolutely woeful. And by the way, Channel 7 probably lost ad revenue too because the match was over quicker. I completely predicted this several weeks ago and sure enough, it's exactly what's happened. There was actually a lot of talk about the uh, the Renegades losing wickets intentionally because of how bad the DJ was. Yeah, they I were saw that. To get away from it. <laughs> yeah, they were sticking the boot in uh, Junior and who was the other? Was it uh, Howie or something? Uh, yeah. It, it might, have, might have been, yeah. It might have, might have been Flemo, actually. Oh, yeah, okay. So, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Either way. They, well, Flemo loves ha- his heavy metal. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, they were not happy. <laughs> Uh, oh dear speaking of the Sixers, they're still the only team that doesn't have a century in the entire history of their team yeah that's remarkable I, I managed to catch one of the brief breaks i had yesterday between running boxes up and downstairs was i saw the last six overs of the Sixers innings and felipe coming ever so close to that ton i couldn't believe it when you told me that, that they'd never had a ton in their history crazy yep not the one didn't you just feel like he was always going to get out short of the century though well, it was funny, wasn't it? Jordan Silk provided excellent uh, help on the at the other end, but the problem was that he almost provided too much help and he actually faced several balls and it got down to that last over and Philippe probably had too many balls at the non-striker's end to think about it, I dare say. Yeah, speaking of Jordan Silk, geez, doesn't he half have the best outfield highlights going so far? Oh, that was magnificent, that save. Whoa, save six runs or four runs, I should say. He, he did. And they were all saying, like, if he'd taken that as a catch, it would have been probably the catch of the summer. I mean, he had a couple of really other good uh, good fielding efforts. He's had that absolute screamer of a diving forward catch as well. He's he's off to a really, really great start. Amazing set of hands and a pretty yeah, handy batsman. Absolutely. No, he's had a quite a quite a good BBL career. I think if you looked at his stats, I think uh, you'd, you'd almost wonder why he hasn't knocked on the door of the Australian team more often. Well, I mean, he's one of those guys I always talk about, you know, the Ben Dunks and the the Chris Lins and the Darcy Shorts and these guys who really should be in the size. I mean, Jordan Silk, yeah, amazing batsman, really great fielder as we've seen. So, yeah, certainly would make sense. Absolutely. And then just tonight, obviously, to finish this off, Daniel Sams, 65 off 25. What an absolutely cracking knock. Yeah, he's had a good start to the summer, hasn't he? Yep, had a couple of wickets as well in the match. He dragged the Thunder back from the abyss in this one. He hit four sixes off the 19th over to win the match. Absolutely brutal. He did have a duck in their first match, but, I mean, he's a, well, a he's bowling a all-rounder. Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but, no, he's, he's had a, a really, really great start, and, and hopefully he can continue. What a, what a great effort. Indeed. Now, there are other tours going on well. There's one tour that's been cancelled, as you alluded to at the end of our show last week's tree, which was uh, kind of news just to hand. The England-South Africa tour is now on ice, which means the Australia-South Africa tour is on ice, which means that the South Africans could be coming to Perth, is the rumour. Perth in the top Ew. end. So it'd be great really? to actually go and watch uh, watch some test cricket, hopefully at Optus Stadium. Yeah, look, it's a, obviously a cracking stadium, one that we're obviously very biased towards, but it is a great place to watch cricket and it would be a, a brilliant place to watch a test. 
And then we're on New Zealand in the Windies. Do we need to say much at all, Stewie? The same uh, outcome, really, as the first test. Yeah, rinse and repeat. Huge score in the first dig for the New Zealanders. Uh, different player this time with Kane Williamson not playing in the second. Uh, the Windies make, what, 131, I think, in their the first dig and then get bowled out well short of the target. Well, not well short, 12 runs short this time, but obviously an innings defeat again. Not looking great for the Windies. And now, what made Stu say bloody hell? Well, the bloody hell this week comes from the world of college American football, and it is a three-pronged doozy. Mm. So, so firstly, we've got the Texas Longhorns football team. This has well and truly been the year that the African-American community's had enough. And let's just say that the Longhorns theme song is a tad uh, unfortunate, maybe the word. So for anyone who hasn't heard it, it's called The Eyes of Texas, which is sung to the tune of and with some of the lyrics of I've Been Working on the Railroad, mm. which for those who don't know that is it's derived from a song, song called... Yeah, it's derived from a song called Levy Song from 1894, which is just a hideous slave song, making all sorts of references that have got no place in modern society. It's really actually quite poor form that so many gifted students and athletes of all races have gone through there, allowing that song to live on. Yeah, I know what you mean, Stewie. I mean, we are in 2020. It's quite amazing when you think about it, but the tides have finally started to turn this year. Well, thankfully, yeah, as of October this year, the Texas band have finally decided not to play this song long overdue. There are reports that a lot of the donors that contribute so much of the university's funding will boycott if the song is removed. So they're kind of in a really hideous spot between a rock and a hard place. They're absolutely damned if they do and damned if they don't. Ah, uh, yes, those... Uh... Redneck motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? So onto something a little bit lighter for the second one. Still with major ramifications, though, for one player and for the Florida Gators. So the Gators were having a pretty good season. They were 8-1. They were playing LSU, who were 3-5, and five, playing like shit themselves, ravaged by COVID, heap of their best players not playing because of the rest of the season being pretty much a waste of time. And, I mean, why would you risk it when you're rubbish? Somehow, though, they find themselves tied at 34 with less than two minutes left in the game. Now, on third and 10, the Gators get a huge stop, but defender Marco Wilson decided to pick up the LSU player's shoe and hurl it downfield. The result, Nathan? Fucking stupidity. (laughs) I was meaning more unsportsmanlike conduct. Yeah, yeah. unsportsmanlike. (laughs) That's the flag for unsportsmanlike conduct. The The minute you told me the story, I knew it was going to lead to a flag. It was really stupid. Really stupid. 10-yard penalty, automatic first down. Holy shit. A few plays later, though, the LSU kicker, Cade York, kicked a field goal from 57 yards through the sort of fog you would need a lighthouse to navigate. Like, it was insane. Yeah. So Evan McPherson, who was the kicker for the Gators, tried from 51 yards to answer on the last play, missed, game over. The big issue with that loss, though, is that had Florida won and then beaten Alabama in the SEC championship game, now I know that's a big a big call because Alabama is a, an amazing football team. Oh, yes, powerhouse. But had that happened, they're into the playoff for the national championship. Yep, big stakes, huge stakes. And look, I don't think they would have beat Alabama, but hey, you never know. Like I always say, there's a reason you play the games. Yep. Who throws a shoe, honestly? <laughs> yes, indeed. Oh, what a fool. And lastly, we've got the absolutely insane finish to the Western Michigan and Ball State game. If you've somehow managed to miss this, I'm going to set the scene for you. So Ball State are up 30-27 to 27 with just seconds left on the clock thanks to a field goal that they just kicked. Western Michigan's only chance is to basically go the length of the field. 
So there's a heap of lateral passes. They keep getting hemmed further and further into their own half. On one of them, the ball goes to ground. The Ball State guys kind of pile on top of it, and that's that. Well, not quite. Ball State guys actually rolled over the top of it. It's picked up by Western Michigan. But the problem is that the Ball State's bench had actually piled onto the field to celebrate. Oh, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. But the ball is the ball is still live. Yeah. So like, one of the yeah. Don't they know the fucking rules? They play the game. It wasn't a forward pass. It's a fumble. The ball is still live, guys. How long have you been exactly. playing this bloody game? Jeez. So one of the Broncos players ends up dodging and waving through about 50 ball state guys. Not really sure who's on the field and or who's not meant to be on the field. Eventually he navigates his way through for a touchdown. Miracle? Nah, unfortunately no. not. Yeah. The Killjoy refs had spotted an illegal forward pass in all of that. Ball State won the game, but not through lack of trying to lose it. And the ESPN feed dropped out right in the middle of the umpires explaining what had happened. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Whoopsie. <laughs> and look, maybe the first bloke, because these things are like flash mobs, aren't they? Maybe the first bloke that ran out thought he saw a forward pass, and maybe that's his argument for running onto the field. But geez, they were lucky. Very, very lucky. It was actually quite funny watching when they realised they shouldn't have been there. The guys just were like tiptoeing backwards towards the, <laughs> the sideline. It, oh, uh, it was a cracker. I always find it funny when, when fans enter arenas or when fans have certain reactions and things. There's a lot of casual fans out there that don't know the rules, but geez, players should know the rules. Crikey. Absolutely. Absolutely. So for providing three of the craziest stories in the craziest year of my life, all I can say is bloody, bloody, bloody hell. Uh, three times a charm bloody hell so Nate the AFL draft took place on Wednesday it kind of seemed like it went on until about Friday morning but uh, (laughs) yes it really did it went really long over one night now previously it had been held over two nights but the first round alone went over two hours which is perhaps why Tanner Brun looks so salty did you see that so he, he was picked by GWS and he claims that it was because he was in shock but I tell you what looking at the pictures and the footage I think he was just pissed off that he had to leave Victoria. But anyway, the whole thing in the end went for nearly five hours and it was actually only uh, scheduled for three on the TV schedule. The rookie in the preseason drafts also happened, but to much less fanfare and in much quicker time. By the way, a bit of a misnomer rookie draft because apparently Grant Birchall and Bryce Gibbs are rookies. Hmm. <laughs> and Sam Reed, I think, was another one. Yeah, yeah. So, so that one might need a bit of attention. But overall, 59 players were picked in the draft proper. Over 20% of the player pool were bid on, which meant that it also went super long. And that's partly why it was a bit of a mess. A couple of interesting notes. There were several dual sportsmen. So Brisbane picked up former steeplechase champion Harry Sharp who's considered raw but has lots of upside. Geelong snuck in before Melbourne to take Max Holmes with one of their picks. Holmes is the son of Commonwealth gold medalist and Olympic bronze medalist Lee Naylor uh, and actually played in the NAB League, but only in one game. Geelong also continued their athletics. of Obviously, Blixarv's a formal steeplechaser as well, if I'm not mistaken, getting under-18 national 400-metre hurdles champion Shannon Neal, who shifted from athletics to football recently. A couple of other interesting things. Collingwood started the draft with taking brothers of current footballers. So they took Oliver Henry, who's the brother of Geelong's Jack Henry, and he's considered to be maybe a Jaden Stevenson replacement. And they also took Finley McRae, the brother of Western Bulldog midfielder Jack McRae. So if he's anything like his brother, that'll be a very good pick for the Pies. 
Adelaide generally stuck to the South Aussies. Essendon tended to pick Victorians only. Fremantle actually took some WA boys as well. That never happens. Yeah, well, it's funny you say that. That's absolutely right. And I think maybe the strategy's changed a little. And, and it does seem to be on theme a little bit of teams picking players within their state in hopes that they don't bolt when they can. The Tigers traded pick 20 to the Cats for a future first next year, which is only the second time in draft history that a round one pick was moved on draft night. Elijah Hollands, who was actually tipped to possibly be a first pick potential only about a year ago, slipped to Gold Coast and maybe a steal, but injury concerns had him slip down the board a bit. So, Shui, I I didn't get to watch it, and to be honest, I'm not all that disappointed in that. (laughs) Uh, I think the AFL is trying to replicate what the NBA and NFL do in America, but they've struggled to do that so far. But I did do a bit of research. So, Cal Toomey and Nat Edwards on the Road to the Draft podcast, I've listened to a few episodes of them. They seem to think that Adelaide, Collingwood and Gold Coast were some winners uh, in the draft. Now, they're a bit surprised at North Melbourne's pick at number three, Will Phillips, who created some ripple effects throughout the rest of the draft. He was taken a little bit earlier than some thought. Uh, But what's interesting is that they're bringing 29 out of retirement. Boomer Harvey delivering it personally to Will. So that was a nice little story there. Of course, the all-time games played champion. And I believe that I've erroneously referred to Michael Tuck as that in previous episodes. So I do apologize. It was for a very long time. Um, It's all good. They said Jack Carroll slid down the board as well. That was a bit of a surprise to them. As far as Chris Dorr at ESPN, now the winners for him, A pluses to Carlton. Jack Carroll, they said, he said was one of the steals, as I mentioned. North Melbourne, he also gave an A plus. He says they're the analytics team of the AFL, so the Moneyball team or the Houston Rockets kind of equivalent in the AFL. Oh, geez, you don't want to be the Houston Rockets team right now. <laughs> yes, that's a good point. Uh, uh, Gold Coast an A plus. He also gave Sydney an A plus. Actually, I'll tell you what, he's probably the sort of guy you wished was your teacher in school. A lot of A's and A plus. <laughs> sounds like it. Sounds uh, like it. Now, Jamara Hugo Hagen was taken number one overall. I should have mentioned this. The, the first Indigenous player to have been taken number one for a very long time. And indeed, he does want to try and be the next Buddy Franklin. Um, but he said that if Hugo Hagen was the number one prospect, then Logan McDonald was 1B. So pretty stoked that the Swans got him. He reckons Braden Campbell is the best kick in the draft and apparently delivers, and I quote, 60-meter bullets. So as a Swans fan, I'm pretty happy with those picks. Collingwood, he also gave an A. Richmond, he gave an A. And your West Coast Eagles, he gave an A, even though they only had two picks. Uh, they took mm. advantage of Adelaide not nominating Luke Edwards, the son of Tyson Edwards, under the father-son rule. So a good pick up there. He's meant to be AFL-ready immediately, Stewie. So that's a good one for you guys. That's not bad. I mean, I don't think I'd give it an A. That's that's probably very generous. Maybe a maybe a B to a B-plus, but not an A. And then the losers for him, he gave two D-pluses, D one to GWS, even though they had three picks in the top 20, and one to Geelong as well. But the big story, of course, is that pesky father-son and the academy rules. Now, the father-son's quite an interesting tradition. It's seen blokes like Stephen Silvani, Gary Ablett Jr., Jonathan Brown, who I forgot was a father-son, Matty Scarlett. Several players have been picked under father-son go to the team that their old man played for, and it's it's quite an interesting tradition. Morris Rioli Jr. was picked by Richmond after a bid was matched, and Stephen Rowe went to Adelaide, but... I know, Stewie, that you're not a big fan of the father-son at all. Yeah, controversial opinion here. I fucking hate the father-son rule. Now, I know we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier in a in an episode a, f- a few months ago, 
I was kind of looking at it in the whole mother, son, mother, daughter, father, daughter stuff coming through, which is kind of interesting, but I'm, I'm just, I'm not a fan. Um, the reason for it, we're looking for a league with parity. So why should every other team miss out on a player purely because his father played for a team? It's, it's Well, exactly, Shui. That's exactly right. And I was about to say the same thing. The teams that have been around a long time are definitely going to be the ones that are going to have a much, much greater advantage. I mean, the Gold Coast Suns and GWS Giants have been in the league for about 11 years. So the pool of players that have come through won't have kids at that age for a few years yet. I mean, it's it's not fair. Also, what about players that play more than 100 games for multiple teams? Like Eddie Betts, he's got four kids. What if one or more of them is a great footballer? Pretty good chance with the genes. But do they yeah, go oh, to Carlton? Absolutely, yeah. Or do they go to Adelaide? Fair. Very fair. Like... For me, being drafted to a team that wants you is a privilege, not a right. So I, I just, I'm not a fan of this. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, you think about, I guess, more recently, teams like Collingwood, who got Josh Dacos, who's a, a really excellent player. Uh, the Swans miss, missed out on Josh Dunkley because he said that he didn't want to go back to Sydney. I'm really torn on this one, Stewie. I do like the tradition of it, but it, it's very uneven and it seems to reward the bigger Melbourne clubs. So it's probably a rule that does need to be scrapped. And indeed, lots of blokes like Rossi Lyon and other big names in the AFL world have said that it's time to go. And I'll tell you what, the other thing I hate is the live bidding system. We've sort of mentioned about some of those things. If you want to move up in the draft, make a trade that both clubs agree on. Why does it have to be so convoluted? Like if, if Eugle Hagen is that good and you don't have the number one pick, trade up for it. Plain and simple. Just like yeah, well, that's, every other sport. Th- that's fair. I mean, well, you have to wonder if the academies and the draft rights attached with them should be scrapped altogether too. I guess the good thing about the bidding system means that at least it did establish a little bit more fairness and so that teams, if they did want to pick a player, would pick them a little bit earlier rather than teams stashing their academy guys for the later rounds. Hmm. No, it's a fair point. That is a fair point. The other thing, though, that I did actually want to talk to you about was your thoughts around the Essendon recruit, Archie Perkins, and the comments that he made around, pick me if you're you're a Victorian side, don't pick me if you're not because I'm not going to put the effort in. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, we've seen it done in other sports. I've mentioned Eli Manning before, for example, uh, before him. John Elway did a similar thing with the Cleveland Browns, if I'm not mistaken. It's, it's sad and it's not something that really should be done. You should be happy to be drafted. But in Australia, there are restraint of trade laws and actually technically all it takes is for one person to take this to court and the whole thing collapses like a house of cards. There's a really interesting case of Gary Bacanara, I remember doing in contract law many years ago. It might actually be something that we revisit in the future because it is an interesting case. So it does rely on a lot of people doing the honour system and all it takes is one or two blokes to put up their hand and say, nah, not going. And I guess that's the difference, isn't it? Tanner Brun just looked shitty that he had to go to GWS, whereas Archie said, nah, not going at all. Look, it's one of these things. The draft is, yeah, it's already long enough. The, the bottom line is they made it a horrible spectacle. Most of the media were basically falling asleep or on about their 15th coffee by the time they got to the end of it. <laughs> they, they tried to make it like the NBA. It just didn't work, unfortunately. So it's, uh, yeah, I'm glad it's over. And, and I tell you what, a couple of points I will, I will definitely make. 
Elijah Hollands is a great pickup for Gold Coast. He's probably not going to play a game in the first season, or if he does, maybe a handful. But I think if you look at not this season, but the following season with obviously the other guys they drafted in, in Rao and Anderson, they are going to be a force. They may not quite be contending for a premiership, but they're going to be pretty bloody close. Not to mention King, Rankin. Jeez, they're going to be an exciting team in a few years, if not already. I definitely think they'll be competing for the finals next season. The other couple of interesting notes, I guess, there's now a guy called Denver in the league. Uh, yeah, I saw that. He'll be Craig playing for that. Hawthorne. <laughs> um, we've also we've also got Reef McInnes. Oh yeah, yep, yep. Uh, for Collingwood, so. And and you're absolutely right. I think in the AFL, blokes. I think it's more of a crapshoot than the NBA, for example. And of course, with COVID and without the state leagues really playing much or at all, in some cases, it was absolutely a crapshoot, and there was a really small sample size to go off. A lot of these blokes probably won't play for a year or two. They do tend to not make the seniors for a while. Uh, so time will tell on these picks. According to Cal Toomey at the road to the draft, he tips Josh Sin to be the player of next year's draft for what it's worth. And he says he's got a bit of Josh Kelly about him. And Jason Horn is another one to look out for in the future too. But that's the AFL draft in a quick little wrap. And I'm going to finish this off with the best name in the draft, North Melbourne's 42nd pick, Phoenix Spicer. <laughs> Very good. Cracker. And now, this week in sport history. December 14, 1960, the first test between Australia and the West Indies at the Gabba finishes in the first ever drawn test match. The Aussies needed just six runs from the last eight balls, which, as we've mentioned previously, was the length of an over at the time, with three wickets in hand. Richie Benno was on 52, caught behind off Wes Hall, giving him five wickets for the innings and nine for the match. Then Wally Grout was run out, attempting a third run off the sixth ball of the over, which would have won the match. And then Ian Meckliffe was run out by Joe Solomon, who had one stump to aim at from about 12 metres out. The only other tied test occurred in Chennai, or Madras as it was called at the time, between Australia and India in 1986, although we did declare twice in that match, including after the late great Dean Jones's famous 210, for which he was hospitalised for heat exhaustion. There have also been two more tests, Zimbabwe and England in 1996 and India, West Indies in 2011, that ended with scores level when time ran out, but with wickets left. December 15th, 1973. Well, we spoke last week about the highest scoring game in NBA history, but we've got a shocker from the NCAA with Tennessee beating Temple 11-6. Ouch. In the volunteer, quote, classic, a game ESPN has rated the worst game of all time. With 11 minutes and 44 seconds left in the first half and trailing 7-5, to five, Temple coach Don Casey told his team to just hold the ball, which they did until there were just six seconds left in the half. Tennessee didn't even attempt a shot from the floor in the second half, scored their four points from free throws from Jon Snow. I haven't been able to confirm if it was the Jon Snow, but it is unlikely. He's probably at the wall. Nah, the timing's wrong. Yeah, it would be. That's true. Um, Ernie Grunfeld, former GM of the Knicks and Bucks, actually played for Tennessee in that game, but it was reported that Temple actually held the ball for 32 of the 40 minutes in the game. Yuck. Oh, yeah. December 17, 1991, another memory of how bad the Miami Heat were early on and indeed what often happens to expansion teams, with the Cleveland Cavaliers defeating the Heat 148-80, to 80, an all-time record margin of 68 points. 
Eight different Cavs scored in double figures with Larry Nance on nine, Terrell Brandon eight, Craig Elo on seven, and Steve Kerr with five. Many forget he played for them. The Heat's day was summed up by Bimbo Coles fouling out in 23 minutes, zero points on zero of eight shooting with seven turnovers, and an equal team high seven boards, and he was only six foot one. Cleveland outscored Miami 75 to 27 in the second half. December 17th, 2014, 103-year-old Gus Andrione records the eighth hole-in-one of his career on the 113-yard 14th hole of the Lakes course in Sarasota, Florida, making him the oldest golfer to record a hole-in-one, further highlighting my shortcomings as a golfer. (laughs) I'm celebrating breaking 90 a couple of weeks ago, and this 103-year-old still making aces on par threes. (laughs) God damn it. Uh, then finally, December 19, 1904, the Dawson City hockey team begins a nine-day, 500-plus-kilometre walk from Dawson to Whitehorse, sleeping outside along the way before taking a train to Skagway and then waiting three days to get on a boat to Seattle. They then had to double back to Vancouver before taking a five-day train to Ottawa to play in the Stanley Cup on the 13th of January, 1905. But that bloody long journey was well worth it, Right. Well, no. After 6,400 kilometres on the road, they lost their first game 9-2 and then the second 23-2. The game was very different back then with no protective gear, but the fist fights were hectic and guys were routinely knocked out. I'll bet Dawson City looked back on this one and wished they'd stayed at home. Too right. This week in sport history. Now, Stewie, big news in the world of Olympic sport. Yeah, gee, so I wanted to take a bit of time to discuss the news that breakdancing will be the newest sport in the Olympics in 2024 in Paris, Mm -hmm. assuming it goes ahead, obviously. There's been a ton of negativity around it. People saying that it isn't a sport. One American reporter said the International Olympic Committee is an utter embarrassment to sport. I'm not sure he actually realizes America's quite good at it, so it's probably a good chance they'll win a gold medal there. Anyway, <laughs> I also read a comment from a Canadian evolutionary behavioral scientist that said, and next there'll be a new sport at the 2028 Olympics. It's a triathlon, breakdancing followed by fishing and then long jump spitting. There used to be a time when 100-meter sprinters were the archetype of an Olympic athlete. Now everyone is an Olympic athlete. So clearly this guy's not interested in sport evolving. But Mm. I have to say that based on some of the videos I've seen of breakdancers, a lot of them would leave traditional athletes for dead. The core and upper body strength these guys have and the agility required is insane. But it got me thinking, by definition, what is a sport? So the the best definition I found was an activity involving physical exertion and skill in which an individual or team competes against another or others for entertainment. So by that definition, breakdancing is almost as much a sport as it gets. Mm-hmm. Physical exertion is huge. It takes tremendous skills. Watching crews or b-boys or girls competing is incredibly entertaining. It's, it's just easy to get into that mindset that a sport has to maybe include a ball or a bunch of running or throwing or wrestling in nothing but a loincloth. <laughs> but it just isn't anymore. And I, I have to pose this question. How is this at all different to the premise of what the floor routine of gymnastics is? Yeah, well, that's a very good point. I'll be honest, when I first saw this news, I had similar reaction to the people you've quoted, but that's a very solid argument. I mean, I think a lot of the pushback honestly just comes from a a little bit of ignorance. And I'm sorry to use that word. It has such a negative connotation, but most of the sports have some kind of relatability. Like most of us will never play professional basketball, but we can all pick up a ball and dribble it or throw a pass or make a layup. Yep. Most of us will never be close to professional swimmers, but we can get into a pool and swim a lap. And even if you're not coordinated, most of us can run. 
So we, we can, I guess, at least imitate the mechanics of most of these Olympic sports. And those of them that we can't, for example, weightlifting, they're so straightforward in what they are that anyone who doesn't know the sport can appreciate what it is. Mm. But breakdancing is different there's very little of it that an ordinary person off the street can replicate. Like if I was to say to you, Nath, do a handstand. And when you're in the vertical position, do a push up. Yep. And not then in a spin on your head. Not a fucking chance. Nope. So it's incredibly hard, but then there's this technicality level to it that isn't straightforward to follow at first either. So I wonder if maybe that's part of why there's so much pushback. Yeah, it's a fair point. I guess there's maybe the slippery slope or where do you draw the line argument? But I think... It's probably only a matter of time that esports are in the Olympics and esports are getting huge. I must admit, I saw a bit of the LPL Pro probably half an hour the other day, but uh, yeah, not for me. It took me back to watching hours of my friends or brothers playing video games. Just doesn't interest me that much. But hey, it's a changing world, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I mean, I haven't heard anyone complaining about surfing or sport climbing or skateboarding. These are three sports that are going to be making their debut in Tokyo. So is this because they're simpler to follow? I mean, no one I've ever heard of has said a bad word about trampolining or air pistol or BMX or fucking sailing. (laughs) And we've all kind of just accepted dressage and synchronized swimming. I guess the other argument, Stewie, is the sports like netball or baseball that was there and isn't there anymore aren't in the Olympic Games and perhaps they're more worthy. I don't know how strong that argument is, but it's there. Well, see, here's the thing. France are hosting the Olympics, so surely they deserve some kind of a home court advantage, for lack of a better term. Yeah, Mm. Cool. So, I mean, they're spending all the money for the hosting rights. They should have the right to choose some of the different sports, which is what's happened here. So those sports that you've just mentioned, to put it into perspective, in terms of baseball, France are 18th in the world in women's and 25th in the men's. They're 25th in the world in softball for the women and the men aren't even ranked, and France don't even seem to have a netball team. So why would they want to commit to those sports when they're no chance of winning? Yeah, it's fair. And you also can't help but think this is a way to try and attract the younger crowd and try and keep the Olympic Games relevant. Because as we know, the Winter Olympic Games, no countries even want them anymore. And it seems that perhaps partly precipitated by the COVID stuff, now the Summer Games are getting on the nose a little bit too. We know what happened in Brazil. Well, exactly. But it's, that's a, it's a really great point that you make. And I mean, the IOC has mentioned that they want to include and introduce sports particularly popular with the younger generation and take into consideration the whole urbanization of sport. That's great. But then everyone complains about things that exclude people. And then here's the IOC trying to include a different demographic and people shit on it. Mm. So... Uh, look, I will, I will get, I guess maybe sort of close by saying this. Do you know what one of the great things about the Olympics is? When it's on, there's usually at least five free-to-air channels in Australia and God knows how many in other countries. So if you've had a watch of breakdancing and it's not your thing, there's bound to be some hockey or athletics or beach volleyball or synchronized swimming that you can enjoy instead. So take your mopey attitude and inability to grasp change and enjoy the 50-kilometer walk. Oh, wait, you can't because it's boring as batshit and the IOC finally got rid of it. Long live breakdancing. <laughs> Oh, you've you've uh, made a very strong case there, Stewie. I, I find it hard to argue with you. Excellent. All right, Stewie, you know what that music means. What are you amped for? Well, I mean, the preseason NBA is usually pretty shit, but I'm actually kind of keen to see the direction it takes with the kind of bubble without the bubble, so to speak. Things going on in the arenas without fans and that sort of stuff. And then obviously you've got the continuation of the Big Bash. It'll look pretty even on paper at the start of the tournament, so... 
keen to see who's going to have breakout seasons and which teams are going to be successful, which teams will join the scorches on the bottom of the ladder, that sort of thing. So, uh, how about yourself? What are you out for, Nath? Well, it can only be the first test between Australia and India, openers or not. I'm surprised you left that one for me, but absolutely champing at the bit. Can't wait for test cricket. Got to give you something, mate. Got to give you something. <laughs> Until next week, I'm Nate. And I'm Stu. We are the Sportplex.